0: Hi, this is Jimmy Evans with Marriage Today. This podcast is dedicated to equipping families with the teaching and tools they need to succeed. We hope you enjoy this episode and subscribe for more marriage building content. We're talking about returning to intimacy and and having the intimacy in our marriages that God wants. And one of the main issues that we have to deal with is fear. When we get married you know a lot of times we have natural fears uh, especially fears related to the unknowns of marriage the newness of marriage but every time fear exists it is going to inhibit intimacy to the level that it exists within the relationship and i want to go back when i this is called return to intimacy but the first time i did this seminar it was called return to eden And the reason I called it that was because when you look at Eden, the the name Eden means pleasure and delight. God created marriage in a paradise of pleasure and delight, and that that was his original purpose. God never designs anything to fail. And the failure of marriage is not God's fault, it's our fault. It was Adam and Eve's rebellion against God that brought the pain and failure into their relationship. But when you go back into Genesis... And you look at how God designed marriage. The first feature of marriage before the fall was intimacy with God. And what what I teach in my seminar, Marriage on the Rock, is the most important issue in marriage is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The reason is only God can meet our deepest needs. Your spouse can't meet your deepest needs. There's needs that they can meet. There are needs that they should meet, but they can't meet your deepest needs. Our four deepest needs are acceptance identity, security, and purpose. Only Jesus can meet those needs. And in John chapter four, we see Jesus walking up to the woman of the well of Samaria as a marriage counselor. And he walked up to her. she had had five husbands. She was now living with a man. And Jesus said, lady, if you keep drinking from this well, they were standing by a well and they were talking about water. He said, if you keep drinking from that well, you're gonna keep being thirsty. But if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink and you would never thirst again. And here's what Jesus was saying to that woman. Woman, you're looking for God in a man. And because you can't find him, you think something's wrong with that man. So you've thrown five men away. Now you're living with a man, just cynically, you know, kind of like we do in America. We're cynical about marriage. So we just live together rather than getting married because we don't think it works. And Jesus felt sorry for her. I mean, he felt sorry because she just was trying to do something that wouldn't work. And instantly, this woman was healed, and she went back into her community, and her community was changed because Jesus was now in her life. Understand, when you don't trust Jesus to meet your deepest needs, you will automatically transfer the expectation of that on your spouse. And in so doing, you've set the marriage up for failure because your spouse cannot be God for you. So when you look at the original design for marriage in the Garden of Eden, the number one feature was intimacy with God. Adam and Eve both had a relationship with God, and God was meeting their deepest needs. Second was equal partnership. No reference to dominance. No reference to superiority. Adam was not over Eve, and Eve was not over Adam. And see, God created Eve from a rib and I've heard it said before if he would have wanted her to be above Adam she would have, he would have God would have created her out of a bone out of his head if he would have wanted Adam to dominate her he would have created Eve from a bone from Adam's foot but because he wanted them to be equals he created her from a bone next to his heart and so Adam and Eve were created as equals and you don't see the uh, the dominance until after the fall another feature of marriage before the fall was a common purpose. This is Genesis chapter one. And it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Man and woman had exactly the same purpose. It wasn't man with a purpose. It wasn't woman with a purpose. It was a marriage with a common purpose. The fourth feature before the fall was total exposure without shame or fear. They, they, they were completely naked. And this wasn't just a physical nakedness, but it was mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical. They were completely exposed to one another. And it says, without shame. That word shame is the word bosh. It means fear, it means shame, but it's a very strong word that means for someone to put you to shame. What it's saying in, in when it says that man and woman were naked without shame, it's saying there was no one there to make them feel shamed, there was no enemy there to make them feel afraid. They had a completely safe atmosphere for them to open up and to share on every level. But then came the fall, and when the fall came, every single thing that was true before the fall was not true after the fall. First of all, they lost their intimacy with God. Remember, they got kicked out of the garden. God, they, they rebelled. They died spiritually. They, they had a living spirit until they sinned. And God said, "In the day that you eat that fruit, you'll die. They did. The day they ate that fruit, their spirit died. They had no more intimacy with God. They could not live in the garden with God any longer. The second was, now there was a vie for dominance. So this is what Genesis 3 says. This is God speaking to Eve, and he's cursing her. He had already cursed Adam. He's cursing her for her sin. To the woman, he said, I will greatly... Uh, multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain you shall bring forth children. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. And so now you have not any of that. You have a broken purpose. You have everything that was true before the fall is now not true after the fall. But I want to go to fear because fear was the first emotion of fallen man. And this is Genesis chapter 3. And verse 10, and this is God walking up to Adam after they had rebelled against God. Okay, everyone was, everything was beautiful. Everything was wonderful. God created marriage perfectly, and then they rebelled. And this is Adam responding to God in Genesis 3.10. He said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, once, once Adam and Eve, now understand God never asked a question to get an answer. And here's what God said to Adam. Who told you you were naked? See, sin opens the door to the devil. And the devil always does something evil when we open a door to him. So they sinned. And when they sinned, the devil whispered into their spirits, you're defective. There's something wrong with your bodies. And there's something wrong with your nakedness. So now this beautiful, wonderful nakedness that they had, they were hiding behind fig, fig leaves. And he said, what is this, Adam, that you've done? And Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? He wasn't asking a question to get the answer. He was trying to say to Adam, Adam, the devil told you a lie when you sinned. There's nothing wrong with you, son. I created you that way. But understand this, the end result was he was afraid and Adam and Eve were hit hiding from each other they they were now afraid to expose themselves to each other because of the fear that they felt second timothy 1 7 says god has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind we're going to talk about that in just a minute related to how to walk in power love and a sound mind and not fear but i want you to understand something fear is satan's control switch over our lives Fear is not of God. God will never use fear to control us. Ever, ever, ever. When the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it means reverence. It doesn't mean dread. It doesn't mean panic. It doesn't mean any of that. The devil's control switch on our lives is fear. And Paul was telling Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. There's logical fears that we have. It's logical if a car's coming at you to swerve. I mean, that's, that's a good thing to have, that kind of fear. If someone's running at you with a knife, it's good to run. You know, I mean, if, if, you know, some, if, if you're afraid of heights and really you're not afraid of heights, you're afraid of splattering. So, you know, but that kind of fear can be protective in our lives. So there's, there's logical, reasonable fears that God has put in our lives as protections. Okay. But then besides that type of fear and see those kinds of things are typically circumstantial. You know, you see a spider, you scream, the spider dies, it's it's all over, okay? But demonic fear is perpetual. You have a fear of death. You have a fear of rejection. You have a fear of failure. You have a fear of poverty. You have a fear, it's perpetual. And fear is a prophet spirit. Fear speaks to us. It projects the future. It's a prophet spirit because it projects the future. And knowing our vulnerabilities, knowing our hurts, knowing our mistakes... It projects something into the future so that we will respond incorrectly, especially in marriage. Fear always causes you to do what makes your fears come true. Fear never motivates right behavior. Fear motivates what will make your fears come true. When Karen and I got married, we were full of fear. And I masked mine with macho and tough and all that kind of stuff. Karen did not mask hers. She was just openly fearful. I was fearful of rejection. I was fearful of failure, of exposure, of weakness, of dishonor, of deprivation. Um, uh, as a young boy, I was, I was taller than my second grade teacher. And that might sound good, but it wasn't good. I was, I was really, really, really tall. And I had a, a, my tooth knocked out, and I had a cap on there. My brothers, Damon and Lucifer, uh, they... <laughs> They called me Bucky the Silvertooth Beaver. And I had several things that happened to me when I was a young boy that scarred me, you know? And I never had a problem with girls, and I never had a problem with anybody. But internally, I felt like a freak. There was just a message inside of me that happened to me when I was about maybe second or third grade. But internally, there was something inside of me, I always thought of myself as a freak. And, and I had tremendous amount of fear and rather, I didn't know how to deal with it and so rather than dealing with it in the passive sense of just being fearful and carrying down, I just had my guard up all the time. You know, I, I would stick out my chest and stick out my chin and just dare you. I would, that's the way I, would, I grew up, thought all, all the time is because if you cross me, you know, but I was masking fears. Karen's fears were rejection, disconnection, disconnect, me disconnecting from her, being devalued. Failure and abuse. Karen Karen feared those things. But we were both tremendously fearful in our relationship. It it had all kinds of implications. Here are the four curses of fear. Here are the four things that fear does in our marriages. Number one, fear makes us selfish. You know, people in the hospital are not writing get well soon cards. Because when you're hurting, you're self-absorbed. The Bible says, 1 John 4:18." there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. Let me tell you something. One of the things that, see, I didn't understand God when Karen and I first got married. I didn't understand the nature of God. But one of the things that being a believer for 40 years has done with me is I have absolutely no fear in my relationship with God. I understand how much he loves me. I understand what a phenomenal father he is. And I understand that he never uses fear in any way to control us. And number one, it causes me to love him that much more. And number two, I don't fear that he's going to send me to hell. I don't fear that every time I make a mistake that he's mad at me and going to bop me. I just, there's not fear in my relationship with God. And because of that, there's no, no more fear in my relationship with Karen. We don't have that same sick fear, but we had it. But it caused you to be selfish. When you're fearful, you're always strategizing of how you're going to be okay. That's what it caused you to do. I'm always thinking, it's a chess game. I'm always thinking of how I can move this to keep you from doing this to hurt me. And to make my fears come true. So it's this chess game rather than it just being this you know, trusting, intimate relationship where we don't have all that drama going on. The second thing is it makes us sinful. Fear makes you sinful. When You'll do your worst things when you're fearing. The worst things you say to your spouse, you'll do when you're under the influence of fear. The worst things you do as a human many times are motivated by fear. The ne- next thing is it makes us say ne- negative and damaging words. Proverbs eighteen twenty one, Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. And you'll notice now a lot of times when you're in an argument, and I'll tell you a story in just a minute that it'll help you to, to understand some things. But when you're, you're in an argument with your spouse, you'll notice sometimes when you say the worst things, what you're feeling is fear. They're, they're doing or saying something that's touching something in your life, you feel fearful and you begin to say things and do things that are inappropriate and very hurtful. Number four, fear makes us stupid. <laughs> it makes us selfish, it makes us sinful, it makes us say bad things and it makes us stupid is that there is... Remember, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. A sound mind. When you're not under the influence of fear, when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you're thinking right thoughts and you have a sound mind. But but fear makes us stupid. That We go into a fear dance. I want to talk about Gary Smalley, one of my absolute heroes um, in marriage. But he, he wrote a book called The DNA of Relationships. And in there... He talks about fear and he talks about the fear dance. And one of the the premises of his book is we all have core fears that we're dealing with. I believe every person has core fears that they're dealing with. For men, for women, women's core fears typically relate to disconnection, not being heard and being valued, losing love and appreciation. I, I believe that's absolutely true. Let me read that one more time. Women, when women are dealing with fear in their marriages, it's disconnection. I fear my husband disconnecting. I fear not being heard and valued. I fear losing love and appreciation. Here are men's core fears. Helplessness. Being controlled. Failure and disrespect. And I completely, I agree with both of those. And so what Gary Smalley talks about is the fear dance. And here are the steps in the fear dance that he describes in his book so well. I hurt. I want. I fear. I react. Then you hurt. You want. You fear. You react. And we get into a cycle of fear. There's... I'm hurting because of an issue in my life. It may be something from my past. It may be something related to you. But because I'm hurting, I want a solution. And so I, I work, you know, kids, eating, drinking, however I'm dealing with, with this. I'm trying to find a solution, but I fear. I fear that you're going to control me. I fear you're going to disrespect me. I fear you're going to do this. I fear you're going to do this. And so I react. I say something. I do something. And now you want you fear All the same things go into motion. Let me, let me tell you a story that I think uh, explains this real well. The, a friend of mine is a psychologist, a very good psychologist, Christian psychologist, and he um, had a situation that happened one day that he was, his wife called and said, hey, when are you going to be home? He said, well, I'm going to be home at 5.30, whatever. She said, great, I'll, I'll have dinner on the table. You know, when you get here, she said, great. And so... Right before he was walking out of his office, uh, some people came to his office, and it was a suicide situation. There was a person that had attempted suicide was in the process of trying to kill themselves and so he, being you know a special, specializing in that area and being you know adept at doing that, they walk in, he immediately takes them in it 's very intense it 's a very difficult situation. But basically, in the process of this, he saves a life. I mean, this is what he's describing. They have a breakthrough. The person decides not to kill themselves. It's all fantastic. He makes sure in them leaving that they're in the right hands so that they're, you know, getting the care that they need. So he's just like, oh, my gosh. So he's leaving the office and he um, is feeling good about himself. You know, he's thinking, this is what I was trained for. It's very gratifying to have the feeling of, you know, helping someone like that. So he goes home and uh, when he pulls in the driveway, he's just going to think he's going to walk in the house and his wife's going to, you know, say, you know, what happened? You know, why were you late? He was going to say, well, I just saved a life. She's going to say, you're my hero. Yeah. Well, that's not what happened. She was furious and she, he walked in the house and she was yelling and screaming and just throwing a fit. And he said, wait just a minute. Wait, just a minute. And, and there, there weren't cell phones back then, by the way. And so this is the day before, there was a day before cell phones, okay? <laughs> so, he, so he, and he probably should have called her from the office, but he didn't. He walks in the house. And when he walked in, she was furious. And he kept, he kept trying to say to her, honey, you don't understand what just happened. Let me try to explain it to you. Well, she wasn't listening. She was just furious. Well, understand, both of them felt fear. He felt the fear of being disrespected and misunderstood she felt the fear that he didn't care anything about her sitting at home with the kids and with a cold meal on the table that he wasn't communicating. And his job was taking her or him away from her. Both of them were feeling fear. And here's, here's what I want to submit to you. Some of our worst fights are when we're feeling fear is there. The fear is at the core of it. And that fear has got to be disarmed. This is Brent Evans with Mayor's today. And I want to thank you for listening to the Mayor's today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out MarriageToday.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, videos, articles, and live events.